Happiness is the preeminent idol of the age. Happiness is the preeminent idol of the age. And I don't think that this is news to anyone. As citizens of these United States, it is intrinsic to the very foundation of our identity as Americans. In fact, it's in our declaration. Quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the government. End quote. From this, our society has further devolved into a mindset of just do what makes you happy. It doesn't really matter what it is, as long as you're happy. Do whatever you want to do, love whoever you want to love, be whoever you want to be. Just be happy. Happiness is the preeminent idol of the age. And it has become the preeminent justification for sinning and living how we want as opposed to how God wants us to live. How many times have we heard the phrase, I just want to be happy. Doesn't God just want me to be happy? Uh, when justifying the embrace of an LGBTQ plus lifestyle, or maybe when a marriage has fallen apart simply because, well, we just don't love each other anymore and we just don't make each other happy. Now I can see a few skeptical faces. Here we go again. Another preacher telling us that Christians can't be happy. No joy, no fun. There are things more important than your happiness. Rest assured, this is not my intention. Yes, there are things more important than your happiness. This is true. I care so much more that you pursue holiness rather than happiness. But dare I say that our pursuit of holiness does not mean that Christians cannot find happiness and joy and gladness even in this life. In fact, throughout this whole sermon, I'm going to contend that you, as a Christian, ought to be happy. You, as a Christian, ought to be happy. Not in a, this is your best life now sort of way, or in a, if you pray this prayer from this obscure passage in First Chronicles chapter 4, God will give you extraordinary favor. Not like that kind of thing. Do you get the reference? Kudos. No, the happiness and joy and gladness that I'm talking about is an eternal happiness and eternal joy and eternal gladness that is not fixed on that which can pass away. Think about it this way. We all know the verse and, and the many songs written about said verse. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Of course, that's Psalm 118.24. Now, I don't know about you, but I find myself more apt to relate to that psalm on Sunday than I am on Monday. 
A lot has been made about my resume and work experience as of late. You have a copy of it. If you've paid attention, you've learned that for the last three years, in order to provide for my family, I've had to work outside the church while also pastoring. This means that for the last three years, I've woken up on Monday, and I've just... (sighs) Can you relate? Can you relate to that feeling? It's much easier to wake up on a Sunday morning gather with the saints of God and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But when I wake up on Monday morning and I have to go back to my day job, it's, a, it's often a different tune. It's more like Psalm 31.9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and body also. You laugh because it's true. I feel like Psalm 31.9 sums up Monday through Wednesday, if we're being honest. Are there days in your week when it's difficult to get going? Do you get a case of the Mondays every Monday? Maybe it's the, the whole week sometimes. Maybe even a month is just struggle after struggle after struggle. Maybe you aren't dealing with just a case of the Mondays. Maybe, maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you have a child who is wandering far from God. Maybe your health, uh, to put it bluntly, is in shambles. You want to get up early and read your Bible, but you're so tired each morning because it took you too long to fall asleep last night with all the anxious thoughts going through your head. You want to pray, but your mind is so consumed by the challenges that you face at work. You want to have family devotions, but by the end of the day, the kids are driving you nuts, and you just want them to go to bed. And all of that was just one day, one Monday. Beloved, the Christian can wake up every single day, and they can confidently say, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because the gospel is true. Because Jesus has been raised and therefore our faith is not in vain. Because God has saved us through the all-sufficient atoning work of Christ. Because we get to glorify and enjoy God. And as we glorify and enjoy God, He makes our hearts glad. Ultimately, I believe this is what Psalm 16 teaches. God is our greatest joy. God makes our hearts glad. Only in our great God can we find, wait for it, true happiness. In this 16th Psalm, David walks us through four reasons why the children of God are to be full of gladness. Why we are to be full of joy. To put it simply, why we are to be happy in Jesus. So if you haven't done so already, open your Bibles to the 16th Psalm, Psalm chapter 16. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Hear now the word of God. For the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. 
Psalm chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Four reasons to be happy. Four reasons to be glad. Four reasons to have joy. Number one, God is our refuge. God is our refuge. The psalmist first highlights to us that God is our refuge. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You see, the truth is, we cannot survive on our own. All of humanity is dependent on God to sustain them, whether or not they recognize it. The psalmist asserts this dependence. Preserve me, O God. He is the one who sustains. In the midst of trial, in the midst of loss, in the midst of persecution... In the midst of being chased by your enemies, in the midst of crisis, God is our refuge. He is our safe place. He is the one who brings us through this life. He is our sustainer. The very reason we can even breathe is because God has not yet closed His fist that holds each and every breath that we breathe. Let's try a little exercise. I want you to take a deep breath. Breathe out. Congratulations, God has allowed you to live longer. He sustains us. In the midst of whatever may be going on in our life, He is our refuge. This means that God is our security. God is our security. If you turn on the news you might find that the media is a tad bit hysterical about everything. And of course, by a tad bit, I mean a lot. Beloved, the Christian can wake up every single morning and instead of getting wrapped up in whatever propaganda is being put out by whichever news source you choose to watch, the Christian can wake up each morning and declare, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because God is our security. He is our refuge. The maker of the stars is the one who is caring for your heart at all times. This does not mean that you will never get sick. This does not mean that 
you won't find yourself in harm's way in this life. It does mean, however, that the one who holds the very breath that you breathe in his hand, the one who gives life and takes life away, he is your firm foundation. He is your refuge. He is your security. He is your hiding place. And He has ordained our life. He has even ordained our death. We can trust Him and we don't have to live in fear. In the trials that may come our way, God cares for us. He is the one who preserves us. He is our security. Not only that, God is our good. God is our good. The psalmist writes, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Meaning that there is nothing greater than our God. There is nothing we need more than Him. We have no good apart from Him. The Apostle Paul writes, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He is all that we need. He is good. He is our refuge. Again, uh, God being our refuge doesn't mean that we live in a box of safety where we can't be touched by anything harmful. It's like when Lucy asked Mr. Beaver about Aslan and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Is he safe? Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God is our refuge regardless of our circumstances. God is our security regardless of our circumstances. He is our good Refuge. We can trust Him when the winds of life change and the roaring waves grow larger. He's the King, I tell you. He's our good refuge. For this reason, we can be glad. But if you keep reading, the psalmist doesn't stop there. Not only is God our refuge, He tells us that God is our treasure. God is our treasure treasure look with me at verses three through six the psalmist writes as for the saints and the land they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply their drink offerings of blood i will not pour out or take their names on my lips the lord is my chosen portion and my cup you hold my lot the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed i have a beautiful inheritance beloved god is our treasure. He is to be loved, worshipped, glorified, and valued above all. He tells us in His commandments, you shall have no other gods before Me. He is above all, and we experience the treasure that is our Lord in a couple of ways, according to the psalmist David here in Psalm 16. First, the psalmist tells us that God's people are a delight. God's people are a delight. Now, if you get on Twitter, you might come to the conclusion that Christians don't actually believe this. But the truth be told, we experience God as our treasure in this life through His people. 
a tangible way that we experience God as our treasure through His people. David writes, the saints who are on the earth bring Him delight. The saints of God bring great joy simply by being surrounded by them. As we seek to understand verse 3, I think it's natural for us to see a comparison to Hebrews 10, 24-25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Beloved Christians are gifts to one another. Christians are gifts to one another. We are gifts to each other as we encourage each other to love and good deeds. As we encourage each other to to know God more, to worship Him. As we delight in God together, we delight in each other. The saints are a delight. It is, again, a tangible way that we experience God as our treasure simply by being with each other. We bring each other joy. The Lord uses His people to gladden the hearts of one another. We learn to treasure God above all when we treasure the family He has adopted us into. If you want to show me love, if you want to show me that you appreciate me, that you like me, show love to my family. Because I love them above all, right? On this earth, They are my greatest relationship outside of Christ. So if you want to show me love, show my wife love. If you want to uh, show me how much you appreciate me, appreciate my sons. We learn to treasure God above all when we treasure the family He has adopted us into. God's people are a delight. That's the first way we experience God as our treasure The second way we understand that God is our treasure is in contrast to idols in verse 4, where the psalmist tells us that idolatry brings great sorrow. Idolatry brings great sorrow. Simply put, will we delight in the God who created all things, or will we enslave ourselves, ourselves to idols? A life apart from God is a life of sorrow, both here on earth and into eternity. A life surrendered to false idols is an empty life with no purpose or future. Now certainly we need to understand that all good gifts are from above. But where we often err is that we worship, we worship the gift rather than the giver of the good gift. We enslave ourselves and rob ourselves of great delight in the one true God by making idols out of the good gifts that God gives. Treasuring God means turning away from the idols we have made. The idols of this world will only bring sorrow. But in Christ, there is hope and there is life and there is joy. Your idol cannot save you. doesn't matter what it is. If you worship the object, you will die. And remember, an an idol can be tricky to recognize. It's not always golden calves and tiny Buddhas. We can make an idol out of anything, even the good gifts that God gives. Work can be an idol, and rest can be an idol. Your spouse can be an idol. Your children can be an idol. 
Money can be an idol. Security can be an idol. Anything can be an idol. An idol is anything that robs God of our worship and affection. God is to be our treasure. We experience God as our treasure through His people that are a delight and they are a comfort to us in this life and by experiencing the empty sorrow that idols bring. Finally, in verses 5-6, through six, we understand that God is our treasure means that God provides our identity. God provides our identity. The psalmist in verses 5 and 6 uses the words portion and inheritance. Along the same lines of verse 2 where he says, He has no good besides the Lord. The psalmist continues with a deeper explanation of who he is in the Lord. Who receives an inheritance? Children. Children receive an inheritance. The psalmist tells us that God has given him an inheritance, which means that he is a child. But this inheritance is actually God. God is his portion. God is all he needs. The psalmist can delight in this life because God has given him an identity, a purpose, a reason for this life as as a child who receives the inheritance. And the inheritance is God. Beloved, is God your portion? Is he everything? Is he your greatest treasure? You know, contrary to popular beliefs, As Christians, our reward is not mansions on streets of gold. It is not getting to live forever. It's not even seeing loved ones again. Our reward is Christ. Everything else is just an added benefit. A result of belonging to Jesus. And because we belong to Jesus... Jesus is our identity. He is our treasure. He is our inheritance. He is our portion. And He is the one who makes our hearts glad. God is our treasure. He's our refuge. He's our treasure. If we keep reading, the psalmist explains further that God is our counsel. God is our counsel. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also. My heart instructs me. Side note, real quick. uh, We translate it heart because it makes the most sense in the Hebrew. I think it's actually kidneys. I don't have anything to add to that. I just thought you might want to know. Verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Beloved, it is God who leads us. It is God who instructs us. He has given us His Word and He has given us His Spirit so that we could know Him. And because God is our counsel, because He's our refuge, because He's our treasure, because He is our counsel, we can trust His plan. We can trust His plan. It should bring us great joy to know that the Lord does not leave us to figure out His will. In our present day, I believe that God has given us three gifts to know Him. First, and primarily, His Word, His Spirit, and His Church. We do not have to wonder what we should do 
or how we should live this life. He has spelled it out for us. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. For making, from making disciples to growing in holiness, God has laid out for us in His Word what He expects of His people, empowered by His Spirit. These truths are impressed onto our hearts, and together as a local church, we serve as an outlet to worship and glorify God. This does not mean that we know every single thing that God is up to. It would be impossible for us to know every single thing that God is up to. John Piper likes to say, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you might be aware of three. Though we may not be aware of everything God is doing in our life, we do have everything we need to live this life for His glory. Therefore, we can trust His plan. We can trust that He really does have the whole world in His hand. And if He has the whole world in His hand, then He has us in His hand. Furthermore, we can trust His plan because we have His presence. The psalmist says, Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. God is personal and intimate. He is with us. He has given us His Spirit to dwell in us. And furthermore, God invites us to come before His throne in prayer with confidence and boldness because we are welcomed there and He hears us. We have access to God. And this access is but a taste of future glory. This access is but a shadow of the day when God will fully and finally dwell with man. That is our great hope. That is our great reward, that God intends to dwell again with us. We can trust that He's got it. We can trust His plan. We can rest in His presence. And when we do, our hearts will be glad. We will have joy. God is our refuge, God is our treasure, God is our counsel. All of these things make us happy, it makes us glad, it fills us with joy. And finally, the psalmist highlights, God is our salvation. God is our salvation. Look at the final section of this psalm, starting in verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you are a Christian, your heart should be glad because God has saved. God has saved you. You have every reason to wake up every single morning, even Monday, with a smile on your face because God has adopted you as His child. Every single day you can say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because God has saved me. In Acts chapter 2, 
we find Peter is actually preaching from Psalm 16. He says that David is ultimately writing prophetically about the coming Messiah who Peter identifies as Jesus. And here's the correlation for you and I. We have salvation because Jesus did not undergo decay. Because Jesus was not abandoned to the grave. Because Jesus was not abandoned to Sheol, as the psalmist puts it. Because Jesus died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, we have the fullness of joy because we are no longer enemies. We are children adopted by the Father. Notice three things that the psalmist highlights about this salvation God has promised to His people. First, God will not abandon you. God will not abandon you. We have confidence and security in this salvation, both now and in eternity. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is God's promise to His people. For those who have repented of their sin and believed the gospel, God will not abandon us. God will, He will not abandon us to eternal judgment. He will not abandon us to the trials of this world. He will not abandon us to be ruled by our sin. He will not leave us and He will not forsake us. That is the promise that we have. And we know that God will not abandon us because of Christ. Instead of forsaking us, He forsook Jesus. He turned His back on the Son to despise our sin. And Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. Yet, ultimately, the Father did not abandon the Son. He raised Jesus to life again and seated Him at His right hand where Jesus is reigning now and forevermore. Something I addressed a few months ago when we considered Christ our once and forever King. Our King will not abandon His people. Secondly, we are saved body and soul. Notice how David says, you will not abandon my soul. My flesh will dwell securely and your Holy One will not undergo undergo decay. The imagery here is that God will restore both the physical and the spiritual. It is a picture of God's promise for a new heaven and earth where we will reign with Him forever, body and soul. It's the consummation of the material and the spiritual. But this promise is only made possible in Christ. Because Jesus did not undergo decay. Because He was resurrected, we are resurrected to new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. God saves us body and soul. He doesn't leave us for dead and He doesn't abandon us to death. Now keep in mind, He could have. God would have been perfectly justified in abandoning us to death or Sheol as the the psalmist puts it. 
but he doesn't. Why? Because of his great love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God saves us body and soul. Lastly, the final component for us to understand about this salvation is that God brings us into his eternal presence. God brings us into his eternal presence. This life that we live here on earth is but a moment. A moment that leads to our eternal dwelling place if you are a Christian with our great God. God is faithful to bring us into his presence as he makes known to us path of life. God is our salvation. If you have believed the gospel, this should fill your heart with gladness and joy. If you have believed the gospel, you have every reason to be happy. That's right. We have every reason to be happy, to be filled with joy. We have every reason to smile. We have every reason to sing. Beloved, I wonder, do we have a real theology of joy? We're told in the Bible to rejoice in all things, but do we? Do we get too bogged down in whatever short-lived trial or circumstance we find ourselves in that we are robbed of our joy? Do our hearts lack gladness because we are too wrapped up in the things of this world and not wrapped up enough in Jesus. You've heard the phrase. I don't like the phrase. Don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I think that's a dumb phrase. I'm sorry if you said it. I don't mean to offend you. But I do. We should be heavenly minded about everything. Our minds should be fixed on Christ. We should be wrapped up in Jesus. Beloved, we can know all the theological terms. We can recite all the scripture passages. We can sing all the songs. But if it doesn't make us joyful, if it doesn't make our hearts glad, even in the midst of sorrow, do we really believe it? Our God saves. Our God has not abandoned us. And again, he could have, but he didn't. Our God is our refuge. Our God has given us each other to live this life with. He hasn't left us on our own. He hasn't left us to figure this life out by ourselves. He hasn't left us to try and save ourselves because we know we couldn't. We have every reason to be glad. Even on a Monday. Beloved, do we have a theology of joy? Do we understand that God is our greatest joy? Does our hope in Christ make our hearts glad regardless of whatever situation we may find ourselves in? Beloved, I think there's some very practical questions we can ask ourselves to help drive this passage home. When we think about the saints of God and the role we play in each other's lives, we ought to ask ourselves, do we delight in one another? Are we rejoicing in each other's victories? Are we bearing each other's burdens? Are we weeping with those who weep? Are we coming together to push one another to to do the work of our Father in heaven? I'm reminded of what Drew Hunter said last week during his sermon on friendship, that that we're facing a relational crisis 
in our culture. The reality is we need one another. We, we were not created to live in isolation. We were not created to live in distance from one another. No man is an island. We need each other. So here's the question. Do you delight in the people of God? This is one of the ways that we experience God as our treasure through relationship with His people. And I would contend practically that this is most immediately fulfilled within the context of the local church. Yes, we can have broad fellowship with an array of Christians, certainly. However, I think we will find that our most intimate realization of experiencing God as our treasure through His saints is found within the local church that we are in covenant with. So maybe to be a little bit more pointed in our application, do the saints of Emmanuel Bible Church in Malden, South Carolina, delight in each other? Shifting gears, what about idolatry? We ought to also ask, are we giving our souls over to idols? Or are we surrendering to our God our portion forever? Are we valuing and prioritizing the creation above the Creator? Beloved, this life is only fulfilling when we walk through it with our God who gave it to us. Our entire existence should revolve around God. He should be... We should be about doing His will and His work. In this, we will have fullness of joy in this life until He brings us home. Finally, beloved, are we living a life that testifies to the salvation we have received? Are we living a life that testifies to the salvation we have received? God has called us as His own and given us a purpose for living, to glorify and enjoy Him forever. Now, if you're here today and you don't believe the gospel, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're listening. It is God's kindness to you that you have joined us this morning and that you are hearing about the salvation that gladdens the hearts of God's people. But the truth is, if you are not a Christian, you have no reason to be glad this morning or any morning, and instead you have every reason to fear. But today, in God's kindness, you are invited to believe the gospel. The good news that God saves sinners. That He is our refuge, our treasure, and our salvation. You are a sinner. We are all sinners. We are idolaters at heart. And apart from Christ, we have been separated from God because we have rebelled against Him. You have committed treason against the King. But Jesus is a kind and gracious King who died and rose again so that His treasonous people would be saved. Today, in response to the truth of the Gospel, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. And to the Christian, beloved in Christ, gladness and joy are found ultimately and eternally in the Lord our God, for He is our refuge, treasure, counsel, and salvation. Find your satisfaction 
in Christ alone. He is the only one who can gladden our hearts for all of eternity. He is the only one who can cure the chaos. He is the only one who can give us true happiness. Find your satisfaction in Christ alone. Be satisfied in Jesus to the glory of God. To put it simply in the words of John Piper, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Beloved, be happy in Jesus. He is our greatest joy. He is our salvation.